White Brothers, the podcast all about Penn State football. Conversation and commentary from a fan perspective. I'm Tom Gaffman. And I'm Andy Gaffman. And we are the The Blue Blue and and White White Brothers. Brothers. Two brothers. Two takes. One team. Hey, bro. uh, Well, it's been... uh, it's been 12 games, man. Um, it's been 12 games, man. And we coming off of uh, the end of uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Um, I personally, it was a great weekend for me. Um, I got to see mom and dad. They came down for Thanksgiving. Carolyn, I don't know if you know Carolyn and her family came down as well. So got to see Delaney, Audrey, great. Mitchell, and Chloe along with uh, along with Carolyn's husband, David. And uh, yeah, had a great time. Great turkey. Great stuffing and mashed potatoes, all that good stuff. Um, and watched a great weekend of football, including, of course, that Penn State win over the Michigan State Spartans for the Land Grant Trophy. We reclaimed it. <laughs> um, hey, let's, guess what? We In the Land Grant standings, we are ranked number one in the country. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> the Land Grant standings. That. that would be... You gotta love it. Uh, that would be hilarious. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so uh, it was great, great weekend. Great weekend of uh, football. Um, also, some European football as well. World Cup football. Are you you fell on the World Cup, bro? I've watched basically every single game so far. So yes, I get up early. Yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's <laughs> yeah. been a really cool World Cup as well. Yeah, I mean, so tomorrow the U.S. has a fighting chance to to get out of group the group stage with uh, you know being in the top two with the uh, with England. We tied England, drew against England, a draw, but we also drew um, <laughs> against uh, a, a Wales, right? What is it? The yeah, the Welsh team, and um, you know, need a win we're versus any, Iran. We're, were any Wrexham players on that Welsh team? That's a good question. <laughs> have, you, have you been watching Welcome to Wrexham at all? <laughs> no. Oh, re- do you know what it is? No, I'm not. I'm not aware. Really? But you love Ted Lasso, right? Yes, I do. Well, well, the the actors Ryan Reynolds and um, what is it? Mac McElhaney, Uh What's his? I can't. Mac. What's his first name? It's one of the guys that's the creators of uh, "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia," and uh, they, the two of them, got together and bought a Welsh um, Premier, not Premier League, but like you know, in the English professional soccer system, they're in like the fourth tier below the Premier. Nice. And and they they bought it and they're trying to build it up to to get into the Premier League, and it's a like a docudrama essentially. About this club called Wrexham, and and them purchasing what, it. What um, channel is it on? It you can if you have, do you have Hulu? Do you have Hulu? Yeah, it's on. You can watch it on Hulu. Oh, very cool. Welcome to Rex. It's really cool. So it's it's. I'm, I know we're way off topic here, <laughs> but in terms of uh, the Welsh team, uh, you know, I think there might have been like one player from the Wrexham club on the uh, the national Welsh team, which is cool because you know, uh, I, I mean, for them at least, pretty pretty neat. Anyways, but the Americans drew against them and they shouldn't have. Yeah, and now we have to play Saudi or excuse me Iran tomorrow at um gotta get a what win. is it it's a, it's at 10 a.m. your time I believe it's 2 a 2 p.m. uh two, Eastern oh, two oh, p.m. Right. Eastern noon on Tuesday time. noon yeah. my time right on yeah. I went the other way um, with a, well with a hey shift. <laughs> um, t- tell me about your Thanksgiving uh weekend bro how, how, how'd you do I know you were not back on the east coast so you're uh no ha- had a nice time I, with your uh little house there La- little 
Okay. We got a big old house here. Um, but me and my three other roommates, um, my good buddy Brett, his fiance Jess, my girlfriend Kate, we intentionally decided to, to stay home this year. Whereas last year we all had COVID and had to stay here this year where we had plans to go to, they went, were trying to go to San Diego and I was trying to come back home to Lewisburg and it, that didn't pan out at all. Um, so it was nice to intentionally stay here and not be sick and, um, be able to have the kind of Thanksgiving we wanted. Um, and we made a big old turkey between the four of us. And I think tonight we're going to cook the last of the leftovers in one big happy meal. And um, it, it was a good it was a good weekend. I mean, dude, I have been throwing myself. I've been rocking three screens, sometimes four <laughs> screens from like from like Thursday on because with a, with the, a, um, you know, pro football, college football and the World Cup going on all at the same time all weekend long. It was just like it was just chaos it's and, a and smorgasbord a, a, beauti- a, a beautiful smorgasbord of and much to the you know not delight of the ladies that live in this house who have no care whatsoever for <laughs> any of these oh, sports and me and my roommate are like gluttons brett and i are gluttons for all of it we and and then it was on the heels of the phillies you know going to the world series too so this has just been so much sports happening in this house it's you know i i digested at, at a gluttonous rate and uh and here i am now talking about it on a podcast so it's just like they get it from all different formats and platforms and screens and you know uh, it's just kind of wow it's nice to be a fan of sports unless you're the girlfriend of a fan of this level of sports <laughs> <laughs> yeah well the main course right in the middle of all that uh deliciousness um was a penn state victory uh our last game of the season uh played the visiting spartans of michigan state and um although there were some moments where i was a little anxious about uh, the outcome of that game uh, turned out to be a, a pretty dominant win, uh, a very, very uh, respectable victory. We um, more than doubled them up. Uh, final score of 16 to 35, I guess it was, wasn't it? Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, I, all, all things considered, it was a, it was a great day and um, a great week. Let's go ahead and um, I want to outline the episode for everyone because we don't have a look ahead. Um, here's what we're going to do. We are going to have the news and notes. We'll get Tom's 10 second takes from, from all that great college football. How many seconds? 10, 10 seconds. Hmm. You know, it's funny. We call it Tom's 10 second takes and I'm already taking a tangent. Um, there is a, <laughs> I'm just doing the episode Tom. outline, bro. I love it. I love it. The, do you know who 10 second Tom is? Yes. From 51st dates. Yeah, that's me. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Tom. Have we met? <laughs> So after we hit the news and notes, uh, then we'll go into that game recap. And um, because it was senior day, we're going to go into a little extra detail on uh, some of the seniors who are leaving the program, not just what they did on Saturday, but their contributions to the program as a whole. That includes, of course, your 70-year senior. (laughs) He's a senior citizen, Sean Clifford. You mean the guy that committed to Penn State in July of 2015 when Saquon Barkley was merely a freshman still? Exactly. <laughs> oh, okay, just making sure Amazing. we're talking the same Sean Clifford. True story. Um, but uh, yeah. some of the other seniors who are leaving the program, we'll, we'll talk about them for a little bit. We've got two mailbag entries for the day. Um, and then we're going to wrap up with a sneak peek at championship week. How's that for a little tongue twister? I, I it, it tickled my ears when you said it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that's what we've got today. Um, and let's jump right in with our news and notes. News and notes. As we said, it was a monster uh, day on Saturday, monster weekend in college football. Uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, they were games and some major upsets, consequential games. Um, and we're going to jump right in with, I mean, what's got to be the biggest shocker of the weekend. Um, unranked Texas A&M, who we have been just tearing apart all season long. They get a silver lining to their losing season by beating number five LSU 38 to 23 and dashing the Tigers outside chance hopes of sneaking into the CFP. You got to wonder what's going on with the LSU fans and with those kinds of stakes on the line, like watching Brian Kelly's team that had everything to play for crater like that against uh, crater, totally crater. They were winning pretty well at one point in the game. And man, Rattler came back with a, fu- a fury, a flurry of touchdowns. And- it wasn't Rattler. Wait, hold on. I'm, I'm We're so, on oh, Texas A and M here, bro. I'm we'll so, get my to Rattler yes. in the sec. My bad, my bad. So, well, fourth string. Uh, I think his name is Wegman, the quarterback for Texas A and M, and a an abysmal Texas A and M just have having basically nothing left to play for, but pride in the Texas A and M Aggie program. They got it done, and and you know. Wow, I just you can't help but just wonder what 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 the fans are thinking down there in Baton Rouge about what because they were going to the playoff if they beat that they win that game and beat Georgia. I know that's a tall task, but they were they were poised. They, their path was laid in front of them. Man, uh, crazy outcome. Um, another crazy outcome. Speaking about a team that has everything to play for, you already mentioned their quarterback. I get unranked so excited. South Carolina <laughs> shocks. Number eight, Clemson, 31 to 30, picking up their second straight win against a top 10 team and spoiling the ACC's hopes of sending a team into the playoff. Yeah, I mean, th- this isn't even a conference game for these programs. The, this is a this is a um, a border rivalry. Oh, not a border. It's a state rivalry. Excuse me. And, you know, with the way Alabama's playing, the way Clemson's playing, you like and even for the you know the way Ohio State's playing, and they're not none of these teams are going to be in the playoff, and and I know Alabama's got an outside <laughs> shot, whatever. But basically, yeah. it's like there's like room for team other teams to be like not just making the playoff this year, but but to be like usurping the power, uh, the balance of power that has been these programs in the last like decade is it's there. It's up for, it's up for grabs now. It's up for grabs. And, um, you know, kudos to, to Frank Beamer's son, Shane Beamer, who was in a, Frank was in attendance of that game. Kudos to him for, for winning back, back to back huge games, upsets. Uh, it was fun to watch that one for sure. Um, yeah, uh, it was, I've enjoyed all these upsets on Saturday and this is definitely up there with them. All right, back to your 10-second takes. (laughs) 10-second takes. Um, Two-minute takes. Speaking of in-state rivalries, uh, number 21 Oregon State upsets number nine Oregon in the Civil War, winning 38 to 34. Holy cow. Apparently, they don't. They don't actually call it the Civil War anymore. I don't know why, but uh, the name has been stripped of that uh, rivalry game. But Oregon State scored 28 unanswered points and did it largely on the ground. Uh, I don't know if you saw the passing statistics in this game, but I think 
Uh, Oregon State only had 60, 60, 60 net passing yards in the game. And, and, and you know, there were some head scratchers from Dan Lanning in his first year in that game going forward on fourth and one on his own like 30 when they were down by, or when they were up by only three at the time. It's like very confusing. Uh, a lot of the Oregon fans are, are are like very perturbed by his um, some of his um, decisions in that game, but especially with, they ran it on fourth and one against I think the Pac-12's number one rush defense. So if you're an Oregon fan, that sucks. If you're an Oregon State fan, what a year you've had. Good for them. Sticking with the in-state rivalry, heading to North Carolina, unranked NC State knocks off number seventeen. North Carolina, 30-27, to 27, further devaluing the upcoming ACC championship game. All right, I'm going to take a tangent. Let's Not because it. of this game Let's exactly, but because of what goes on here. It's like, okay, a couple, two weeks ago, UNC was only a one-loss program. Yes, they were ranked a little lower than a one-loss program last week would have liked. They lost the game, and they lost this week as well, um, knocking them out of their uh, chances of making a backdoor entry into the college football playoff if they had won the ACC. But here's here's the problem, in my opinion. You know, like... It, like South, these upsets that are happening over these last couple of weeks are so indicative of how much the college football playoff committee does not know about what is coming, what is to come for the final ranking. Um, I don't have the statistics laid in front of me. I don't have to prepare this argument, but you and I are, you know, are we were grinding our gears yesterday on the phone a little bit, talking about how asinine it is that this committee gets together for however many weeks it is in the season and the back half of the season to discuss, uh, you know, place in who is the top four or even who's in the top 10 or 12 or whatever it is. Because over these last several weeks, these teams that they thought were like positioning and poised to like make a run for the cultural playoff, they have been cratering against unranked foes. So their, their rankings are not indicative of, you know, how good they're going to play week in and week out. It's just, it's how it's, it's their body of work that, that is all that they have to go off of. But the body of work doesn't matter until the season is over. So, uh, yeah, I'm I mean, here, like, these last just two arguing weeks, about these yeah. last two weeks have totally shifted people's perceptions of these particular programs. I mean, you look at a team like LSU, look at a team like Clemson, look at a team like North Carolina, and... Well, look at a team like USC, yes. who two weeks ago wasn't even being talked about for the playoff at all. And they, they were, were ranked off by below a one, Alabama. I think it was a one-score... No, no, like a one-point loss to um, Utah back in the middle mm -hmm. of the season. They were just sort of written off as, uh, yeah. you know, the Pac-12 was written off. So, you know... It's very, very frustrating to hear these, you know, talking heads come out and flap their gums and talk about like, well, this is what we think and why. And uh, yeah, it, it's very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. So so I know that you and I will probably talk a little bit more about the committee um, in, in regards to later today. They're going to be ranking uh, tonight. Uh, they'll have the call, the play, the CFP show on ESPN. I don't know what time. Isn't that on um, Tuesday? And then. It, oh, I'm sorry. Today's Monday. Today right? is Tomorrow Monday, night, bro. Excuse me. <laughs> nah, dude, every day is like a Friday for me, to be honest with you. Um, or a Saturday. Uh, except for Saturday. <laughs> so, yeah, right. So, yeah, every day is a Friday except for Saturday. Saturday is a Saturday. <laughs> um, so... So basically, you know, this week's rankings are going to matter uh, for Penn State for sure. But next week's are are the final ones, and that's literally all that matters. The po the posturing of where they put Penn State here this week, I don't think will. 
I don't think we'll move uh, uh, up from the AP ranking, which is eight. But uh, get, get me off this. Get me off this. Go back to news and notes. I can't. I get. I'm. I'm, I'm floundering. Over. <laughs> we got a couple of Friday results to talk about as well. Um, these are also top twenty-five results. Um, first of all, in the Egg Bowl, Mississippi State upsets number twenty Ole Miss. 24 to 22 amid a slew of head coaching rumors and distractions for one Lane Kiffin. Yeah, apparently Lane um, is, is, it, is the word spurning. Is he spurning the Auburn job? Spurn. He spurned him. He spurned him good. Um, yeah, <laughs> and actually opened the door for some um, conjectures that Franklin might be up for the job. Potentially, at least that maybe maybe the Auburn sides have talked to Franklin at least to gauge his interest. But but uh, Ole Miss, if he's sticking around, these last two games have been – he dropped both of them. He dropped two yeah, in a row. talk about laying an egg. I mean, yeah, exactly. You see what I did there? Yeah, you see that was amazing. <laughs> um, so he he had he had uh, Ole Miss's uh, first ten win season in history last year, and he could have followed it up with a run at the CFP. Uh, and instead of doing that, he has lost two. And you know, good for Mike Leach. You know, his team put together a, a, a big win against the ranked foe. Good for them. This is not an upset, but it has an outside bearing on Penn State potentially with. Their upcoming bowl selection, we'll see. I think Cincinnati was technically favored in the game. Uh, well, there you go. Um, so here's the headline. Uh, number 19, Tulane hangs on against number 24, Cincinnati, to set up a possible Cotton Bowl bid pending their conference championship game. Yeah, they'll be playing... Uh, UCF playing in Central well, Florida. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, and that they're Central Florida's ranked two, and they won um, a close one. I forget against two, but um, it's interesting to see this many Group of Five teams ranked at this point of the season. I know Cincinnati will probably drop out, but there are three ranked teams in the top. I want to say nineteen, um, and. I gotta be honest, Andy. If we get slotted for the Cotton Bowl, I'm not even gonna talk about this game. But if we get slotted for the Cotton Bowl. Again, to, to his, Sean Clifford's starting career starts with um, starts with a touchdown pass uh, and the Cotton Bowl, and ends with a touchdown pass on his last throw of his career, and could end with a Cotton Bowl and against a group of five team. I don't know. It feels very. It feels like a, almost like it's it's happening on purpose. <laughs> like we're not worthy of like a, a top tier opponent for some for some reason. Even though I know this is the way it gets broken down, but we will feel slighted as a fans. I think as a, a the coaching staff will also feel slighted. Um, uh, it's just it's not really a win win. It's kind of more of a lose lose. You know, years when you've got a group of five team in the top twelve, I'm sure it's a really fun, interesting matchup. But certainly the. 2019 year where uh, I think Memphis was, you know, 16 or 18 or something like that. And then this year, you're not going to get this team ranked, you know, above the as top as high 15. as you would like. If we're, if we're at like eighth or, or seventh or whatever in the final CFP rankings, we'll be pissed if it's not at least a top 12 opponent. I would say so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, there are your uh, news and notes headlines. Uh, just a couple of notes. On those, um, the AP poll came out yesterday. Um, as you said, the the, the second to last CFP rankings won't be out until tomorrow. But if we take, you know, what they have right now, Georgia, TCU, USC, um, they're all slated for the top four, having won handily 
um, you know, pending championship week uh, results. They are all going to be in their championship games. And they will be joined by, now turning to the Big Ten, um, they'll be joined by the winner of the game. And here's your uh, first Big Ten headline, bro. Number three, Michigan dominates. Number two, Ohio State for the second straight year running over the Buckeyes in a 45-23 to win and punching their ticket to the Big Ten championship game and likely CFP bid. They're, well, <laughs> slow down for one second before their likely CFP bid. I'm making I know an assumption be, there, obviously. Well, so the it, it's safe-ish to assume that because of what they just did to a top three team. and But the Big Ten West champion, Purdue, which Penn State beat in week one, you know, and have come from behind late heroic finish by our old trusty Sean Clifford. Um, Purdue and Jeff Brom, their head coach, Purdue under Jeff Brom has faced three top five teams in his career at Purdue, and he is undefeated in those matchups, and he's looking to make it 4-0. And you I know, don't know, bro, I'm not saying... Uh, we'll have a chance to talk about those championship week matchups at the end of the show. Let's get your take on the game. I loved this game. It was so much fun to watch. Just to, I mean, I, A... I hate Michigan, but I've just been hate. I've been hating Ohio State a lot more these last uh, five, six years. Um, even though there is reason to hate Michigan, there certainly is. Um, but just I, we, I want to see like Ohio State's fans like crying and crumbling and whining and infighting, and it's and it's been happening. Heisman Trophy, um, you know. Troy, uh, what's his name? Troy Smith, who would, you know, the famous Tomba Holly sack strip um, game back in 2005, where we beat Ohio State in, in Beaver Stadium. Um, he came out and said after the game, after he watched Michigan uh, players plant the Michigan Block M flag, this massive flag, right in the center of the field on the Block O, Troy Smith <laughs> came out and said, You would have never seen our Ohio State players ever allow that to happen even after the game even after a loss like never would have happened and you know there's i've been reading some of these articles about what's going on with ryan day what's going on with this you know is ryan day does he know what it means to be an ohio state like person an ohio state player an ohio state grown you know an ohio person because he went to the university of new hampshire uh, and i don't think he's from ohio either but there are these people that think that he can't recruit the 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 pure Ohio hatred of Michigan, and he can't coach with a pure Ohio hatred of Michigan, and he's like doing too much um, recruiting nationally than getting than, than building the Ohio player from within that that just is born with it, you know. So there's there's again there's infighting, you know, in games of consequence over Ryan Day, Day's tenure, he's one and two in the game against Michigan, and that. One win he had was against a, a four-loss Michigan team during the pandemic, mind you, where we also beat Michigan during one of our worst seasons of of memory. And he uh, other games like Clemson, Alabama games in the CFP, he's gotten blown out and hasn't had the teeth to really like you know stick it to a team and step on their throats. And he's one in five in those big time consequential games. One in five and doesn't hasn't won a national title. So they're talking about firing Ryan Day. Beat writers are talking about it. Ohio State fans are talking about it. 
it's it's strange territory for this Ohio State team. And Michigan now is two and zero, and they are the big dog in the in the conference. So it's it's strange. It's a it's a it's a new world right now. Stroud is going to be leaving. A bunch of other players for Ohio State are going to be graduating. They're going to be foregoing the Rose Bowl if that's the bowl they go to, and not getting in the CFP. Yeah, it's uh, fans aren't loving it. I've been loving it though. I've been loving it so much. <laughs> Tom's two minute takes, <laughs> dude. T- I, w- come on, man. Let's. When when else are we supposed to talk about the fall of Ohio State like this? Uh, you know, the potential fall of Ohio State like this. I think I talk uh, about it on air. Yeah, it's uh, maybe a bit premature, but um, it's it was definitely fun to it. watch that collapse, especially the way it happened in the game with it with it closed the way it was, and then they ripped off two long runs, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter to seal it. Uh, seemed very reminiscent of the game that we played against them. It's, it was nice to see it happen to someone well, else. They beat them. They scored more points this year than last year, and Ohio State scored less points this year than last year. So it's a, so whatever. Ohio, you know, Ryan Day was talking about like, oh, you know, we they fired their defensive coordinator. They made all these changes. They wanted to, they wanted to beat Ohio State, for you know, this or excuse me, beat Michigan. Game. They they made yeah. all those changes for this specific yeah. game, and, and, <laughs> and they, they got a worse, they, worse result. They, and last year, Michigan beat Ohio State Michigan's way, and this year, Michigan beat Ohio State Ohio State's way with explosive plays. Yeah, a lot crazy. of them, all their all their touchdowns were like. 45 yard plus t- either rushing or passing touchdowns. It was unbelievable. And they did it without Blake Corum. And nobody gave them a, a shot in heck with Blake Corum on the sidelines. He tried to go in the first like play or two and he his knee wouldn't handle it. And then uh, Do- I think it's Donovan Edwards is his name. The Ed- Edwards, the, the running back, he had a broken dominant right arm hand and played with it and had over 200 yards rushing. It was just a a total be, like bed crapping ball dropping situation for Ohio State from the coaching staff on down to the players. You hate to see it happen to such a nice team. You love to see it happen to Ohio State. <laughs> All right, let's see if we can get back to the ten second takes going through the rest of the Big Ten. Um, Not in your life, pal. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Nebraska beats Iowa 24-17, spoiling the Hawkeyes' Big Ten championship hopes and capping a tumultuous season with the win as they prepare to welcome their new head coach, Matt Rule. It's funny. you like, Dude, it's just another example of a team that had everything to play for, and they just they let it all slip away. The Iowa-dominating defense allowed a... Just a coachless, you know, <laughs> team without a identity to score 38 points in that game. I think it was 24 it was, to 17, bro. Why did I think 38? I don't know. A different defensive team gave up 38 then. I'm an idiot. Either way, more points than the Iowa defense is giving up on average all year long by far. Next headline. Purdue. Wait, we didn't even, Matt Rule. Matt Rule, former Penn State defensive lineman, takes that job, by the way. It'll be interesting to play him. In the Big Ten now. Yeah, I agree. Be very interesting. I agree. Yeah. Um, all right, next headline. Purdue nearly doubles up Indiana 30-16, to 16, laying claim to the old oaken bucket, whatever that is, and earning the privilege of facing Michigan in the Big Ten championship game as the West Division representative. Yeah, does Aiden O'Connell and uh, that offense have what it takes to to go against Michigan's pretty darn good defense? That's all the only question I have coming out of that Purdue game, really. 
we'll see soon enough, I guess. Um, yeah. Best of luck to the Boilermakers. How amazing would it be to watch Michigan lose in that game, by the way? We'll talk about it later. Uh, I, Brian, Jeff, Jeff Brom, 3-0 and against top five teams. We'll talk about it. All right. Uh, here's a short and sweet one. Uh, Maryland blanks Rutgers, 37-0. That's a, a Rutgers five-game losing streak uh, at this point, I'm pretty sure. And... Uh, well, yeah, well, that's another shutout for Rutgers. Uh, their offense is is bad, <laughs> real bad. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Illinois steamrolls Northwestern, forty-one to three, completing the Wildcats' winless season on U.S. soil. Wow, that's a yeah. I mean, <laughs> eleven straight <laughs> losses for Northwest. How does a coach? I don't care who they are. They were bad last year too. Yeah, they were, and. They looked very bad this year. Even like sometimes, like you know, like the Detroit Lions were like a two two win team last year, but like almost all their games were one score losses. When and they were like they were on the cusp. This Northwestern team is not really on the cusp. It doesn't look like it in any way. They have a couple of good players. They they put up a little bit of a fight against us. They put up a little bit of a fight against Ohio State, but those were in bad weather games, mind you. Northwestern's bad. How does how does a coach retain their, you know, job at, for back to back seasons? I I don't understand why he's untouchable as a. I'm not suggesting he needs to be fired, but how how does he how does he not get fired with a one in eleven season, and not even winning a game in front of your home fans? That's gotta suck to be a Northwestern fan. The the four or five hundred there there are. It is unusual in this era of college football that someone would stick around after too many seasons like that. I just, well, they're also, they've, they've invested so much in their new facility that's on the waterfront there. And it looks incredible. And they got the works for a multi hundred million dollar stadium coming up. And like, you got to recruit players to win games. And I get that, you know, getting them to see these facilities is cool and all, but you got to win games to to recruit players. And if there's no recruiting fire from the coaching staff because you're not winning games, how do you get players to come and and win? And in a a Big Ten, that's going to be bringing in more solid competition. We shall see. Um, I'm not sure there's a lot of hope on the horizon for Northwestern. Um, Last headline... The Gophers outlast the Badgers as Minnesota beats Wisconsin 23-16, to retaining possession of Paul Bunyan's axe for the second year running and leaving head coming, incoming head coach Luke Fickle with plenty of work to do. There's a lot to unpack there. The Badgers are now 6-6. Six and six. They have now decided that um, Jim Leonard, the de facto interim head coach since they fired Paul Christ. They've decided that what he has done is not good enough to retain as the head coach. They'll be losing him as a defensive coordinator. I can only imagine with Luke Fickle coming in. I can't see a world where, I mean, it's like Penn State couldn't keep Larry Johnson on after he, you know, wanted to get hired to be the head coach and Bill O'Brien was hired instead. And, and then Larry Johnson left. I imagine Jim Leonard's leaving. This is a, this is a tough for Wisconsin team. I think, um, and it's curious that Luke Fickle waited around for the right job is what it seemed. And he, I'm curious to see how he thinks that Wisconsin is the right job. I th- he had this pick of a lot of different programs over the last couple of years. And I guess Wisconsin's the one good for Wisconsin. I don't know. It's a, I'm, it's a, it's a curious hiring to me. 
personally. I know he's from the Big Ten. He played at Ohio State. He coached at Ohio State. He was interim head coach at Ohio State. Uh, he's done great things at Cincinnati. Um, I guess, again, another we'll see about Wisconsin. But Minnesota now, one of Penn State's opponents, got another win. And uh, I don't know if it's a resume builder for us or not, but, you know, two of the best teams in the Big Ten West we, we knocked off. Yeah, well, um, that'll do it for um, news and notes. Um, leaves us with our, you know, top four um, at Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC. That's not official, of course. Um, championship games left to be played. Hey, with all the chaos we've seen, maybe there's more chaos. Maybe that championship isn't quite set. Uh, meanwhile, Penn State, after their 10-win season, slots in at number eight. This is an AP, but it's probably going to be somewhat consistent uh, with that CFP ranking. Um, we're ahead of um, uh, we're ahead of a Pac-12 team and a, an ACC team, but behind two SEC teams and the sort of that there are five 10-win teams, and we're right in the middle of the pack. Um, and we're on track for a New Year's Six Bowl. We'll see what that might be and talk about that a little bit later. But, bro, let's take the turn now and just talk about that Michigan State game, which got us over the hump into a 10-win season. By the way, it's the fourth 10-win regular season of Franklin's tenure, the other three being 2016, 2017, and Clifford's first year starting, 2019. Uh, also, interestingly, uh, this is from uh, Penn State Sports Office. Uh, it's only the seventh time in Penn State history we've had seven Big Ten wins in a season. Wow. Um, and we Starting also, in 93. Yeah, we also tied the all-time series with Michigan State at 18-18-1 and brought back the beautiful, the world-renowned, the world-famous... <laughs> Land Grant the world trof- famous. Trophy. The world um, famous. Back, back uh, to Penn State for at least another year. Um, and yeah, it just completes a pretty impressive fall from grace for Michigan State, who, um, you know, a tweet you shared with me um, r- reminded everyone that uh, Michigan State was 2-0 and to start the year, ranked number 11 in the country. Were they that high ranked? Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, going into that Washington game, they were the 11th ranked team of the of the country and now they finished their regular season 5 and 7. 6 of the 7 losses were by double digits. Um Mel Tucker's third losing season in 4 years as a head coach. That goes back to Colorado, I believe. Um and lastly, I just want to say it really cements Penn State as the Clear number three in the Big Ten this year. And I just got to say it, nipping right at Ohio State's heels as they watch uh, a couple of their key players rotate out. We, of course, had the lead against them up through the fourth quarter and um, a lot of dissension in the ranks at Ohio State right now. Penn State, you know, finishing on a four-game win streak. So, um, you know, we'll get into some of the game specifics, but just what are some of your initial thoughts over what that game means, what the win means um, for Franklin, for Penn State, um, for Michigan State, et cetera. What, what's your kind of big picture take at the moment? Well, when you consider the alternative of losing to Michigan State, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, and nine and three is way, way different than 10 and two. And the opportunity to win an 11th game at, at the end of your bowl game is is no small thing, I don't think. Um, 
Yeah, even if it would be I think, in a uh, bowl against an, an inferior opponent, like to get that eleventh win is still, it, it's a good season, man. Let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. It's harder to recruit as a nine-win ball club than it is to recruit as a 10, 10 or eleven-win ball club. So, and and when you're recruiting, um, when you're ten and two or eleven and two, and you can say, hey. The only people we lost to were to our biggest rivals at, in top, top four Michigan and top four Ohio State. Um, if you can say, hey, we just need a couple of more players and, and you can help literally put us over the hump. And you can tell if these four and five star guys that you can start right out of the gate a la Abdul Carter. I was just thinking <laughs> um, Abdul Carter. Holy you know, cow. Nick Singleton, uh, Katron Allen. I mean, it, 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 I, there's a lot of freshmen that were playing this year, man. Redshirt and true. A lot. Uh, more than I think ever in Franklin's tenure at Penn State, and I'm sure even more than, than at Vanderbilt, at least with, with guys of this um, high recruiting ranking caliber. So, I think, you know, it's a very promising end to the season. Uh, and it's very promising for what it means moving forward. Cause if you, I predicted eight and four this year, um, just cause I wasn't a believer in Franklin bouncing back after what had, we'd seen these last two years. Um, and I wasn't a believer in Sean Clifford. Um, I think it says, speaks volumes, um, in various ways of, of how they've treated the Clifford, um, <laughs> dilemma, if you will, at least from the fans' perspective, it's been a Clifford dilemma, um, but not for the coaches, not for, not for, um, not for James James Franklin, not for you know Mike Yursich. They stuck with their guy and they 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 went to bat for him week in and week out, and I, I give them credit for that. I do with with how much people were chanting for Drew, how much people were booing Sean Clifford at the whiteout. Um, and you know, it's just, I think that Drew Aller, who's going to be starting for us come next year. I think it's good. He has a lot to take away from what happened this year. Um, it's like he watched his coaching staff, you know, go to bat for Sean Clifford, even when, you know, we were chanting for Drew to come to, to replace him. So Drew can now go. Take on that starting job and and know that like his coaches will also go go to bat for him even when he's going through growing pains as a freshman or as a sophomore, excuse me. So I think finishing this way is 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 very critical to what we want to see from this ball club moving forward. Well, there's a lot lot to take away from this game, a lot to take away from these final four games, and a lot to take away from this season. Yeah, I can't remember what my initial prediction was. I think it was probably something like nine and three. Um, but, um, yeah, we really exceeded expectations. I mean, I know, you know, in particularly the Ohio state game, we felt like that game was within our reach, but, you know, stepping back to come away from this particular schedule that we played with, with 10 wins is remarkable. And it says a lot about how far the programs come in sort of rebuilding, um, from all the losses, um, of, of, you know, momentum in 2020 and the change in coaching, you know, sort of the struggles we had going down the stretch last year on the offensive side of the ball. Um, so it's a great, it's just great feeling to, to finish the day strong, to finish the season strong. Let's talk about the game specifically. And I, again, I feel like we got to, we'll get to Sean Clifford because there's a lot to talk about with him, but let's start by talking about the defense. 
Um, just another dominating performance by the defense, um, really capping off a tremendous four-game run. You know, it started right away with a fumble recovery on Michigan State's opening drive. Um, ended the day with three turn- turnovers for the defense. Could have been a lot more, a number of missed interceptions. Um, it, Penn State's f- forced 24 takeaways this season, by the way, including 12 fumble recoveries and 12 interceptions. Um, the defense also held Michigan State. Check this out. Held Michigan State to 25 yards rushing on the day. Dude, th- what's what can you say about this defense? I mean, by the way, sure they gave up a few uh, I was just going to say I, I didn't ahead. mean to interrupt you, but like we we held um Michigan State 96 yards below their season average um for rushing and we did that in 11 of 12 games this year where we held teams below their senior uh season average the one game we didn't of course uh Michigan <laughs> right but um, um just really spectacular run defense this year yeah i mean so our run defense was stellar in this game and in several games stellar um we finished the season ranked 14th in run defense uh in the nation yeah we started off pretty strong and then after that michigan game we like dropped down to like the 50s (laughs) and we basically have worked our way back up you know um you know, outside of the Michigan game, we really, really, there weren't very many uh, teams that found success against us on the ground. Well, yeah, and we did we did it um, yesterday, excuse me, yesterday, Saturday, Joey Porter Jr. actually did try and play a couple of uh, snaps in the game, uh, but ultimately didn't play uh, a full game at, at all and it didn't really contribute uh, much. But Kalen King... Um, he had himself. They they were picking on him because they said, "Hey, we we got some good wide receivers on the outside. Let's try and pick on them without Joey Porter Jr." And it didn't go that well, really, for them. No, um, no. And and now Kalen King, uh, after that game, um, he had several uh, pass breakups in the game, uh, and he is now currently tied for the nation's lead in pass breakups with eighteen. Yeah, that's and, that's uh, impressive. Um, by the way, yeah. so you, you transition to our pasty, which I think is also worth talking about. Um, Ten pass breakups on the day, including, um, yeah. you know, I think it was four or, or five by Kalen King on the day. Um, that brings our season total to 82. I'm not sure if that's still leading the nation, but it's... I bet you money it, it's it is. It's got to be close. Uh, just for reference, that's the first time since 1996 that we've had over 80 pass breakups on the season. Wild. So this I mean, is, um, <laughs> you know, by about 30 years or 25 years, um, a historically good uh, pass defense. Very, very and impressive. I think, and I think even though we've had a lot of good defensive backs come and go over the over the years in recent memory, uh, or even over the last thirty years, I think a, even like Brent Pry or even Tom Bradley's defenses, I think we kind of lacked a killer instinct um, as a unit in the secondary. And this feels like the first time as a fan for me where it was like where it was like. You know, the secondary was great, but so was the rest of the defense. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, one unit's, uh, you know, overperforming and the rest is underperforming. Like, we kind of just played complimentary ball at every level. And the I secondary, totally agree. I th- feel, was our strength. And and and, and the rest kind of really wasn't too much of a drop-off when it's all said and done. Let me give you a few, Andy, um, in Brent, excuse me, and Manny Diaz's first year now that he's concluded the regular season and he's still our defensive coordinator as far as we know moving forward. <laughs> I'd love to have him for another few years. <laughs> oh, man. I, well, and I'm 
sure we'll talk about that at, at length later on. Uh, maybe maybe not this episode so much, but a, fir- a future episode before the season uh, of Blue and White, White Brothers is over. But here we go. Um, these are national defensive ranks uh, of Penn State's football team. Pass breakups, still first, by the way. There it is. Passing, efi- yep. Passing efficiency, second. Tackles for loss, seventh. Red zone defense, seventh. Sacks, ninth. Takeaways, ninth. Scoring defense, 10th. Defensive TDs, 10th. Rushing defense, 14th. Third down defense, 14th. Total defense, 18th. Yeah, so it's a a top 10 defense on a lot of factors. Top 20 defense overall. A really, really excellent, excellent season on the defense. Um, You mentioned the um, the front seven, um, you know, sort of complementing the play in the secondary. Um, We recorded seven tackles for loss against Michigan State um, to, to basically go on a run where we we finished the season with seven straight games where we had at least seven tackles for loss. We were getting in the backfield a lot all day um, for basically the whole second half of the season. Um, really, really significant uh, performance um, all the way along uh, the front seven and the back four. Yeah, um, I... <laughs> I'm personally just thinking about the future now at this point in time, and and I'm I'm very curious to see who from this defense remains with the team, not just for the bowl game, but for next year as well, because we will lose PJ Mustafer. Um, I, guys like Curtis Jacobs could leave. JP uh, J, as in um, Joey Porter Jr., is likely to leave. I can't imagine he um, won't. Yeah, 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 I'm just, I'm just curious. What you know, we have some core pieces coming back. Obviously, Abdul Carter's not, not going anywhere. Does Curtis Jacobs? Does Curtis Jacobs feel like he has more um, that he he's got to do here with us? I, I would like to think, seeing how, how like last year's linebackers left and some of them really weren't drafted too highly um, and are not contributing at the NFL level currently. Uh, I, I would like to think that he could craft his game a bit more. I think he kind. I'm not saying he underperformed this season. Statistically, I think he. He could have a better season with with another year under Manny Diaz's tutelage as a linebackers coach and as a defensive coordinator paired with Abdul Carter. Those two could be, you know, and if Kobe King, you know, kind of solidifies his role as a starter and gets better. It's it's curious to me just to see uh, if all these pieces can return, including Manny Diaz. I'm this defense. I feel like could get better. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about what we think next year will look like. All right. Let's keep our eyes focused on this particular game because it was a good game. It was worth talking about. Um, you already mentioned uh, Kalen King, um, who had an increased role with uh, Joey Porter Jr.'s limited status. Um, let's just talk a little bit about Abdul Carter. Yeah. The guy had himself a game, a great game to cap off the end of a great freshman season. Um, he had two sacks on the day. He now has six and a half sacks and 10 and a half tackles for loss on the season. Um, that's the team leader in both of those categories, bro. He, um, tied the team high for tackles on the day, uh, which was seven, including five solo tackles. And he nearly had that picked six, (laughs) which, uh, I think might've been his first, um, his first pick six, uh, of his career. If he had been able to hang on to it. Um, he is being talked about 
you know, after this, you know, watching this game and, and, you know, all the other games where he's looked amazing, he's not just flashing anymore as he was in the, in like the Auburn game. This isn't like, you know, he wasn't starting yet at that point in time. He was just a true freshman coming in. We're trying to see what he can do as he's slowly taking on the playbook and they're not trying to throw too much on his shoulders. By the end of this season, he's a starter and, you know, I think he still has growth to do. People are obviously comparing him to Micah Parsons or comparing him to LeVar Arrington or Navarro Bowman, guys that have worn number 11 before him, Brandon Bell as well. Um, but people are saying, you know, <laughs> he he might end up being a better linebacker than Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons is just an elite athlete. And I think you, you can see that Abdul Carter is also one of those types of elite athletes, but I think he's playing the linebacker position at this stage in his career possibly better than Micah Parsons was. I I think that's true. I mean, I'm no expert, but just just the way that I'm watching him on the field, the way he's shutting things down, the way he's not making mistakes. I think, you know, what you had with Micah Parsons, um, particularly early on in his career, he would show those flashes, but then he would be out of position and miss tackles and things like this. Abdul Carter has been solid, but he was flying around on Saturday like a heat-seeking missile. Like, you know, it just seemed like he was everywhere he was supposed to be, and when he was supposed to be there, he just showed up with speed and physicality and shut plays down all over the place. You, it was awesome. You know you know how a running back that's like a dominant running back and has like speed, burst, and power, how how that type of running back, when they hit uh, a crease or a, or a lane or a, or a gap or a hole, they hit it with such ferocity and they're just getting to the next level at such a pace and such a speed. You're just like, holy crap. That's what Abdul Carter is doing from the linebacker position. He's playing downhill in a way that some of the greatest running backs do. You know, they're not tentative. He's he's reading and reacting as he's like, it's like he's not even thinking, he's just doing, right? And that's what we're seeing from him back there at the at that second level in the linebacker position. When he sees the gap in the hole where he has a lane to go get to the either the quarterback or the ball carrier, he's doing it with ferocity and intensity and he, with closing speed that is just, I mean, it's NFL caliber type of stuff for sure. Um, it's exciting. It's eye-popping. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he is a developing player. It seems like he right. has arrived as a great player and you know what's exciting is to think he still has a few seasons of development to accomplish it's almost like that um Saquon Barkley's first season where you're like oh man he gained a thousand yards this year and he's just a true freshman and you remember what he did um going into the next season he like totally worked on his conditioning and he showed up the next season that was the 2016 season like in primo form and he was just ready to rock and I, i'm really looking forward to seeing how uh, abdul carter's career takes off from here it, it, he's got a bright yeah. future for sure it, it's not like he's not capable of developing still like he, i think he still will i mean that's what the greatest players do is they get better and better and like you're saying saquon barkley did that at the running back position um I will be interested to see what what a guy like Abdul Carter what what because he he didn't he didn't here's the crazy thing about about Abdul Carter is he did not arrive early at Penn State either he wasn't a January enrollee he got here in time for the normal semester you know fall semester he showed up for like summer uh, uh, you know pre preseason camp he was not even there early in the summer so what what more could he do with a full off season under 
and I always forget how to pronounce his his last name. Our strength and conditioning uh, director, uh, choke uh, choke Chuck Loss. Is it Lossy or Losi? I don't know. Um, but uh, or is it Luzi? I, I really don't know. <laughs> the guy with the curling mustache yeah. um, who took over for Dwight Galt Senior. What what can we get from Abdul Carter after a a full off season? And and of course, you know all the bowl games that we're getting. That, that's practice for him. That's understanding. Um, you know coverages. And, and and everything and and um he's getting he's just gonna have more, a, a better opportunity to develop with with a you know a, a New Year's Six opponent than he would if we were you know just making a you know Music City Bowl or something like that um or No Bowl for that matter like like uh, two years ago so. It's exciting. It's exciting to have that kind of a prospect coming through yet again after losing Micah Parsons early. Um, really excited to see to have him for three, hopefully three full seasons when we really only got one full starting season with Micah at Penn State. Yeah, exactly. And that I think was probably the other sort of disappointing part about Micah's career. Some of that was that COVID season where he opted out. Right. Uh, we right. would have had him for a second starting season, but um, yeah, to. to have the expectation barring injury we'll get to see abdul carter for at least another two full seasons that's really really exciting um futures looking up for for that defense um offensive side of the ball there were some really good things that happened on saturday as well um it was a great way to end the season for the tight ends who who themselves have had a, just a great, great season great um, point was going to bring that up if you hadn't uh you know, Theo Johnson himself had uh, two tight end, uh, excuse me, two touchdown catches on the day. Tyler Warren with a touchdown catch, um, probably one of the best touchdown catches of the season, actually, in my opinion. The more I looked at that replay of him sort of diving around that defender and having that, you know, fingertip catch, it was it was a great catch. Um you know, also uh, it a, just it was better than a great catch. It was an unbelievable catch for you. a yeah, tight end. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and um, you know, again, continuing their dominance in the in the blocking scheme, um, bro. I don't I don't think um, you were aware of this before I posted it to you um, earlier today. But tight ends have accounted for thirteen of Penn State's twenty seven receiving touchdowns this year. Nearly half of our receiving touchdowns are tight ends, and includes. Uh, six of the last eight touchdowns that have been caught uh, were That's by a, tight ends. Yeah. Just, just shows how um, significant their contributions have been this season. A big adjustment, I think, um, this season compared to last season by Mike Yurisich on the offensive game plan. Yeah, I mean, with Parker Washington going down and kind of um, our our wide receivers have kind of been our I, I would say our weakest link on offense this year and that's even factoring in the offensive line um both when they were healthy and not healthy I think our um our wide receiving uh core has have, has left a little to be desired and with Parker out it was clear we needed to do something different to get the ball uh down the field and and you know uh, aside from the running game and Speaking of the running game, the running backs also were utilized in this game. I think uh, between the two of them, they had like, I think they each had three or four receptions. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And, 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 you know, some downfield, uh, you know, yards were picked up by our running backs too. But, but really, you know, Franklin and, and the staff has kind of been touting for the last couple of years, mind you. Uh, and last year they were 
definitely an underperforming unit. The tight end unit was an underperforming unit last year. Um, with what you're saying and what what they've done this year so far, um, it's it's nice to see them finally utilizing what they have been calling the best tight end group in the country. And and I think. Um, there's a chance all three of them could come back next year. Brenton Strange has the opportunity to, th- to I think, go. Um, but guy, the Theo Johnson's a sophomore. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think Warren has done enough to really merit leaving early for the NFL. Um, and they all pro- they all provide a different skill set. Quite frankly, um, I mean. Uh, Warren was a high school quarterback. We've seen him utilized in the in the run game at the wildcat position. Um, you know, Theo Johnson's more of the the downfield like mismatch receiver. Brenton Strange is the kind of do it all, can block uh, both in the run game downfield and on the line. Can can catch great passes and break tackles and you know go, go deep with with some of these receptions. And it's exciting to see them finally getting utilized the way we've kind of always been wanting to see the tight end group. Not just one tight end, not just two tight ends, but the whole group that we have all three out there sometimes. Our personnel is interesting this year and how we line up um, for various plays. Uh, It's great to see them all getting utilized when we kind of aren't getting what what we need from the wide receivers. Uh, Speaking of the wide receivers, um, it was also a breakout day for Keandre Lambert-Smith. And, um, you know, he's a guy who over the last few seasons, we've really been looking to see a lot more from. Um, It seems like he's just never quite gotten over the hump. Well, he sure did that um, on Saturday. Uh, He led all receivers for yards and uh, number of receptions. Um, He also had that great touchdown throw uh, to Theo Johnson. Um, I think it was the longest pass of the day, bro. Um, for 45 yards, and um, he also had the touchdown catch to seal the game at the end of the game, a 35-yard beautiful uh, pass right into the bucket from Sean Clifford uh, to end the day. Um, By the way, Keandre Lambert-Smith now gets to go into the Penn State annals as the first wide receiver in program history to both catch and throw a touchdown pass in the same game. (laughs) That's <laughs> pretty wild. And we we will definitely get him back next year um, and hopefully healthy for an entire season. Uh, again, I keep looking forward because this the season's over, but it was a great performance. It was got to savor I think, it, man. Best, you got to yeah, savor his, it because <laughs> his best game of his young career. Um, definitely. You know, easily. That, that was the kind of game where you're like, well, finally, he's living up to the the measure of wearing number one. Yep. Um, yeah, to me, I, when he was changed to number one, I was like, well, if you're going to wear that number you know, like the number 11. I, number one isn't as, you know, revered for us as it is for, uh, you know, the number 11. But like KJ Hammer wore number one. And, you know, typically that number is reserved for playmakers. Um, and he, he looked all, every bit the part uh, in, in this game against Michigan State. So, uh, you know, bravo to him for uh, having a, a, a career game and career day. That's great. Um, last thing on the offense, um, Wanted to just mention the running backs. You already talked about. I was going to say we haven't even talked about our stud running use backs. in the. You have You already talked about their use in the passing game, but um, uh, between the two of them, they racked up 160 some yards on the ground. Neither of them broke a hundred yards. Um, we'll look probably at our uh, season and review episode um, at, at how many 100 yard rushing 
uh, performances we had this season, but it was, I think, more than half of our games. Didn't get 100 yards from either back, but still, great performance. The, between their receiving yards, return yards, and rushing yards, by the way, both of our true freshman running backs now have over 1,000 all-purpose yards on the season. Wow. That's pretty pretty remarkable. I, I don't know. I mean, I hope it's, – it's hard to say <laughs> – it's hard to like imagine that, that like the reality of that at the beginning of the season, I I would have said you're crazy, you know, like totally we, unknown quantities, totally unknown quantities, and they both have done it. They both have done it, and you know, is is the is that like their peak, you know, or are we going to see an offense that can be built around this more? Uh, especially being two players, like it's got to be so hard to feed two great players that have different skill sets and they're utilizing them both kind of, you know, like as equally as you possibly could fathom, they're using them throughout the game, each game. And it's been that way since game one, essentially. Yeah. And each game that seems like one or the other of them has a slightly better game, but it doesn't really seem to tilt the balance over the course of the season in terms of which is a stronger runner. They both, of course, have their own sort of rushing styles. Uh, Keandre, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Katron Allen. Uh, sorry, I lost my, lost my train of thought there. Uh, Katron Allen is definitely the more physical runner. He doesn't seem to quite have the, the burst of speed. And Nick Singleton himself, um, you know, has that second gear. But each of them have sort of broken away from that. Like a couple games ago, it was... Katron Allen, who had uh, the longer runs. And, um, you know, this particular game, you saw Nick Singleton get a lot of really tough yards as well. So it's really kind of just a a, a very impressive one-two punch. And now watching them getting used in the receiving game, man, it's going to be, you know, we were just talking about Abdul Carter on the defense side. It's going to be really fun watching these two phenoms uh, develop after uh, you know a full season in the program and the strength and conditioning program, another year with this offense to getting developed around them, uh, wow! I'm very excited for what the future holds. But you know, as I was just telling you, let's savor the season just on its face. <laughs> you know, where were we last year at the end of the season with the running game? I mean, we were beside ourselves, and now this year, I mean, just. What a tremendous uh, difference a year has made um, the number of and, yards we've put up on the ground this season. Well, the yards the yards are special for sure. Obviously, it's a it's a it's a big measuring stick. But honestly, I think the bigger measuring stick with these two dudes, in addition to the yards, is how many each how many touchdowns they each have too in double digits. Yeah, man, it's it's, it's it, incredible. It, it's I it's struggling to wrap my brain around around it having two of these guys like. I, I I'm stoked to see a an offense that get can now get built around that quantifiable thing where as you said unknown quantities coming into this season they liked what they saw in camp but how do you know camp is one thing going up against actual you know Big Ten competition SEC competition it's a totally different thing than seeing it in practice uh, and now we now we know now we know what these guys can do and and it's it's a it's an exciting possibility in the future uh, I think we got you know again this 10 win season this possible 
possible 11 win season. Um, there's a lot to, to look forward to. This future is bright, I think, for these guys and this team. Yeah, last thing I'll just say on that. Um, you mentioned the touchdowns uh, on Saturday. Nick Singleton got his first career receiving touchdown. Receiving touchdown. So, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, looking forward to the future for sure. Um, you know, there was kind of a... A downside on the day. Um, I, I wanted to touch on that briefly. Uh, we're still looking for that four-quarter game. We're still looking for that full game performance. And, you know, especially on the offensive side, we had a slow start. Um, really didn't get going, you know, for the first quarter. And then in the third quarter, both offense and defense just, just really couldn't get going we allowed Michigan State to crawl back into this game. They put up, I believe, 14 unanswered points and um, kind of got to within five points. They, I think they missed a two-point conversion, um, you know, trying to get to within three, ended up get, um, missing it. But, you know, at that particular moment in the game, it, it really looked like we could go the way of a lot of those other teams who dropped their final game. Um Penn State was on the ropes, I think. It felt like. Um, and yeah. um, I, I said to the group chat, I said, hey, this is where we get to see what kind of team this is um, and what they're, what they're made of. And it was in that moment that uh, the offense went out for the first time in the second half. They put together a great drive. It was an 11-play, 75-yard drive. Took nearly seven minutes off the clock. Included a number of key passes, including a, a clutch third down conversion to Tyler Warren. Uh, there was a 19-yard pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith, a 12-yard pass to Brenton Strange, and it was capped off by that uh, Nick Singleton uh, screen pass on fourth and two that ended up going for a touchdown. Uh, very gutsy call, perfectly executed, caught Michigan State off guard, and that really kind of was the turning point in the game. And um, I wanted to use that kind of you know, both that sort of the down of, you know, the, the, the second half that, that we were sort of sleepwalking and then this clutch drive to, to talk about the one guy we really haven't talked about on the day, which is Sean Clifford. Um, he engineered that drive. Um, that was part of, um, a second half where he did not throw a single incompletion. He was 13 for 13 on his final 13 passes of the day. Um, he ended the day, with 200 yards passing, 19 of 24, that's almost 80% completion percentage. He had four throwing touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, look, he only had five incompletions on the day <laughs> to four touchdowns. It, it was just, you know, for all that, I mean, you and I have been Sean Clifford critics uh, for much of this season, but he had a great, great great end to his career um at least as as far as uh you know playing in Beaver Stadium in the regular season capped it off with a 35 yard touchdown to Keandre Lambert Smith as we said um and i think it's just a good example of the kind of quarterback Clifford has become which is a a very good game manager who if he doesn't make mistakes can help you win a lot of games when you put the right pieces around him so uh you know what do you want to say about Sean Clifford bro uh, i just threw out a bunch of stats but um you know, it's his senior day. You know, he's a sixth-year senior, four-year starter. What do you his want to say final about Clifford? Se- his final senior his day. Final senior it was day. His <laughs> final senior day. Because he, he was introduced on senior day last year. Uh, yeah, and I guess he had a senior. He was technically a senior two, two years, years ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but we won't be getting a, a notification anytime soon that states that Sean Clifford's coming back for his seventh season. <laughs> um, so that was indeed his last. And from from what I heard, uh, there was no booing of, of Clifford on his uh, final I think he got a very day, nice which, reception from the crowd, from what I gather. And Franklin pined for that. And it's, a, it's sad that that had to be a, a reality for Sean. You know... <sighs> Sean Clifford, I've been hearing it a lot, and I think it's totally true. He is maybe the most polarizing player, at least polarizing quarterback for sure, um, of uh, maybe our, my lifetime and and maybe in Penn State history. Um, uh, Christian Hackenberg's probably up there. I don't want to say he's as polarizing. Interesting. I wouldn't say he's as polarizing because there was nobody behind uh, yeah, that's a, Christian that's Hackenberg. A good point. That's a good point. You know? When no, you have a no. five-star like Drew Aller waiting in the wings and you have a fan base desperate for wins. But we were already, like, last year we were like, put in Levis. Yeah. Or, you know, or, or no, I guess Levis wasn't with us last year. Um, it wasn't we last didn't year, even know we were, like, who our backup quarterback last year right. was. But, but, but we were just like, we were... We didn't love what we were seeing in, over the last two years from Sean Clifford. Um, and, and there's... There's kind of no way around that. Um, I was listening to a podcast just this morning from the Blue White Illustrated Boys. Um, and I think it was Blue White Illustrated Boys, or maybe it was, <laughs> I listened to too many other podcasts, but um, it could have been the one uh, called Pay Dirt that also um, sometimes Are we advertising for on. other podcasts now. Is that what no, we're doing? No, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I, I'm, I have to reference where I'm hearing stuff. Let's put it that way. I heard something um, from somewhere. They had they had Charlie shut your mouth. <laughs> they had Charlie Fisher on. Do you remember who Charlie Fisher is? The Carrie Fisher's brother? Nope, not at all. Charlie Fisher, uh, apart from being the uh, former owner um, of the Town Tavern, now his son owns it um, in, in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. By the way, <laughs> uh, the Charlie Fisher was the quarterbacks coach of Matt McGloin in 2012 and 2013, um, and he he. He was saying that maybe Matt McGloin was also a polarizing quarterback because obviously his career was littered with inconsistency and underperformance. Uh, from a, I mean, he was a walk on, but like from, from from the Penn State quarterback position, we weren't getting great quarterback play between Rob Bolden and Matt McGloin for a number of years until Bill O'Brien came through and you know Matt McGloin threw for over three thousand yards and like two, I think it was like twenty five touchdowns or something like that and had a great senior year, but. Up to that point, Matt McGloin was, you know, getting raked over the coals quite a bit in his career. And maybe Matt McGloin's one of the few that actually understands being a polarizing quarterback. Um, but I think of this magnitude, I think Sean Clifford, being that he's the greatest, you know, quarterback in Penn State history, statistically speaking, amongst all the major categories, it, it's like there's no... You, to the fact that we're talking about this today after, you know, he's concluding a great, you know, final game of his career where he finished this, the game with 13 completions and finished his regular season career with a 35-yard touchdown pass to Keandre Lambert-Smith, we're still sitting here talking about, like, what do we think of Sean Clifford? <laughs> you know, so... That's a polarizing player, if, I, if I've ever heard, heard one. Um... But, you know, to, to, to close out what I think about Sean Clifford is he's had to weather the, the storm 
as a starting quarterback and still win, you know, have two 10 plus win seasons, you know, under his under his belt and and hear all of his, you know, what should be his greatest supporters talk about how we should be playing somebody else instead of him. And he's ta- he's he's taken all that criticism with grace and class and is still and talks about it to the media. Talks about like hey, you know, I just you know, I I just really enjoyed my career. I'm glad I had the opportunity to play quarterback at Penn State for so long. It was a dream come true. I love this university. I love this um, you know, uh, team. I love I love the fans and he never has said one bad thing. He has been a blue and white you know, Nittany Lion through and through has said all the right things, has done all the right things you could ever want in a, in a you know, four-time captain now. Yeah, you know, I think certainly um, the full body of work now being nearly complete, obviously there may be a bowl game in there. I assume that Clifford will play in that game, but... Oh, yeah, he'll take all the most meaningful snaps, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I, 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 you got to say he's accomplished a lot, um, you know, not just statistically, but you know, I think the best thing you can say about Sean Clifford in terms of his career arc is that he got us back to where things were when he came into the program. And that's no small feat when you think about sort of how um, things hit in 2020 with a new coordinator as COVID was coming on and then another new coordinator last year, uh, the struggles with the offensive line. And, um, you know, the program may not be in better shape than it was when he got here, but it's certainly not in worse shape. And, um, you know, he, he's really laid the groundwork for a guy like Drew Aller to come in and take it to the next level. Um, you know, he said in his um, post-game comments that, you know, he would like to have been able to get Penn State, you know, to the college football playoff, to the Big Ten championship. Big Ten you know, champion, he yeah. wanted that for himself. And, you know, he had the opportunity to get us there, um, you know, both in 2019 and again here in 2022. Uh, did Just couldn't quite, quite get over the hump. And I think that's in part why um, there was such frustration from the fans is because you saw and you felt you were close at times and you just had these had these moments where even with all the tools that Sean Clifford had, we just didn't quite get what we needed in those critical moments. You know, they talk about football being a game of inches and and it really was that way for him at quarterback a lot of the time. Um, but I, I think, you know, particularly as we talk about senior day and his career comes to a close, there's a lot to be thankful for Thanksgiving weekend, you know, just behind us a lot to be grateful for. Um, Sean Clifford was a good Penn state quarterback and, um, I don't know, you know, 20 years from now, if we'll be easily able to say, Hey, who has the highest number of passing yards or highest number of passing touchdowns at Penn state? Will we all feel like, Oh yeah, it's going to be Sean Clifford. Like he's the obvious jeopardy answer. Uh, You know, will he have receded, in memory by then because he didn't have that one outstanding performance to get him over the hump. I don't know. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll look back and think. It's an expectations thing, sadly, for Sean Clifford. Yeah, Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, Trace McSorley was a three-star. Sean Clifford was a four-star, a guy that was at the Elite 11 camps in high school. school And, um, you know, he, he had measurables that you know a lot of other teams wanted to bring Clifford in and so there was potential there with Clifford and and with with the 
it was almost like what Trace McSorley did, both being a young, a, a, a lower um, recruited and a lower starred ranking quarterback. Penn State's um, whole roster wasn't up to the same level that it currently is now either. And it's like Sean Clifford kind of couldn't take couldn't take the mantle and take it to the next level, whereas Trace McSorley did take us to the next level, and then we kind of took a step back under uh, under. Sean, whether they're all his fault, you know, that's a different conversation. But typically it's like the head coach and the quarterback, those are the guys that take all the heat. And that's just comes with the territory. And um yeah, Sean, Sean definitely wishes he could have done more. I know that. He said it. And uh it's it sucks that that, you know, a young kid, even though he's, you know, the oldest guy in college football, <laughs> sucks that a young kid's <laughs> gotta kind of weather weather that on their shoulders. And here we are. You know, almost, I'm almost 40. You are 40. And here we are critiquing what, you know, 18 to 22, 23, 24 year olds are doing on, a, you know, a university team. <laughs> it's got to be tough. It's got to be. It's not easy. It's a, it's a whole team effort and the whole team didn't get it done. Right. Yeah. And and let, that's where I said, like, you know, he really helped to captain the ship through two very, very difficult years. Um, wasn't all his fault that that 2020 and 2021 ended up the way that it did. And yeah, he's he's left the program in great shape and he got us a 10-win season, chance for a, a, another New Year's Six Bowl. It's it's pretty cool. I mean, what would have happened in 2020 if Micah Parsons doesn't opt out? Yeah. If, um, uh, if, if both our starting running backs don't, you know, get injured or can't play? If Pat Fryermuth doesn't get injured? I mean, we're talking like guys that are in the NFL or or ha- or were like highly ranked even if the Big 10 um, doesn't know, go and like cancel the season and then restart it and Penn State gets their normal you know yeah. opportunity with Kirk Sharaka you know and actually can you know Who run a zoom real practices until he was a Zoom coach until like the week of. I, yeah, exactly. The first game. So um, <laughs> there, there's a lot of what ifs there and um, a, a lot of adversity in those two years. Um, and I think what you're seeing now is both the fruit of, um, you know, those ongoing great recruiting classes from Franklin, but also the just the team coming together. It, you know, it feels like the last four games were really Sean Clifford's best four game stretch over his entire career. It just very solid play. Obviously the competition wasn't quite as, uh, as good. And like, he wasn't lighting it up in the air. He was, you know, at 200, 250 yards per game, but very balanced, taking care of the football, um, captaining a very good, um, dominating performance over the last uh, four games. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of love for Sean Clifford here as he, uh, as he signs off. Um, I wanted to just take a, a moment to talk about some of the other um, senior players who we um, believe and expect um, are going to be, um, you know, no longer with us. Um, let's talk um, first on the offensive side. Um, the other senior besides Sean Clifford, interestingly, only two seniors in this uh, group, but um, that that other one being Mitchell Tinsley, uh, the transfer, um, who was the second leading receiver for Penn State on the season. Um, what do you what do you want to say about uh, Mitchell Tinsley, bro? Um, it's a, it's unfortunate that we don't have an extra year with him. I think he, he, it would have. Um, I, I think the 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 passing game didn't gel for the wide receivers the way they wanted to. Um, and it would be really cool to see both Parker and Tinsley come back next year to, 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 you know, Tinsley was a, a, 
you know, gun for hire out of Western Kentucky, the Hilltoppers. He had a huge season last year with them. And I, I think that things didn't work out for him the way that I think a lot of people assumed, um, which was that he would kind of fill the role of the, the Jahan Dotson. Of course, he's wearing the number five kind of like him. Um, he's not the same receiver as Jahan Dotson, as we have learned. Uh, and he, and I don't think he ever really, um, figured out his chemistry with with Sean Clifford either and whether that's a a product of the the passing um you know block pass blocking or Sean Clifford just you know not being good enough to anticipate breaks in wide receivers whatever it is it just didn't amount to a ton he is obviously a good wide receiver but it did not amount to the type of statistical season that we were hoping for when it, when we brought him in i'll just say um he led excuse me he led all wide receivers in receiving touchdowns with four on the season so he he was an important contributor um 528 yards no receiving doubt. on the season um on the defensive side we're losing some pretty decent uh, players, some big names here. Um, premier among them, Jair Brown. All right. Um, yeah. He finished with a, a, a team high, um, tying seven tackles all solo on the day um, against Michigan State. Um, and a quarterback hurry. Yeah. I, I mean, he, and so he he led Penn State on the season in uh, total tackles and solo tackles with 66 and 50, respectively. Um, it just, you know, for the, the years that he's been a contributor for us, he's just been uh, an anchor on that defense. I, to me, I think he's, you know, as easy as it would be to, to just say, Hey, uh, Abdul Carter, you know, defensive MVP, um, you know, I'll give I'll give Abdul Carter the nod for freshman. You know, uh, you know, freshman of the defense, like best player, uh, best freshman on the defense. Um, but as far as you know, who really like anchored this defense? You're it's it's Jair Brown. He was all over the field, making interceptions. You know, m- making sacks, making tackles behind the line of scrimmage, um, and and saving touchdowns all over the place, batting passes down. Uh, this guy can play in the box and he can play coverage. He he is not the same type of player that Jaquan Brisker is, who by the way might take home defensive player of the of, excuse me freshman defensive player of the year award rookie. honor in the NFL rookie of the yeah defensive rookie of the year. Thank you. Um, He's not the same player, but he is just as good as far as athletic ability, um, talent, and and just reading defenses and playing the darn game fast. He can he can react and play. He's, he missed a couple tackles here and there, but the dude was a stud for us by and large. Like time and time again, whenever we needed the de- the defense and the secondary to make plays, Jair Brown was there. And it's just it'll be sad to see. You know, I don't know who's gonna take up the mantle as Jair did from Jaquan, and of course. Jaquan and Jair played together and of course they both came from Lackawanna College like will we have this kind of safety play moving forward next year that is certainly um, up for debate and and we'll have it's a wait and see for that kind of thing but there is talent behind them hope to see somebody take up the mantle that those two dudes left behind uh, Jair Brown um, with one game left to play assuming he plays in the bowl game finishes with nine interceptions three forced fumbles three sacks um, uh, uh, multiple dozens of tackles. Um, just tons and tons of tackles. He he's been a, on the season or the or his career. That's his career. That's career. Okay, gotcha. Um, I was gonna say that's. I don't remember him getting nine interceptions. No, no, that, that's a, that's total on his career. Um, but um, you know, going to the other um 
part of the defense, uh, the front four. Um, speaking of anchors, PJ Mustafer, um, this was his last year of eligibility. Um, he was on the stat sheet for five seasons, obviously redshirted one season and got the uh, COVID bonus season. Very consistent for the last four seasons in, in terms of um, statistically um, what, what we saw with sacks, tackles, et cetera, which is necessarily something that's going to jump off the page. But he was that guy who ate up multiple blocks, double teams in the middle of the line and allowed other people uh, to get to the quarterback. I mean, the kind of day that Abdul Carter had on Saturday is due in large part to a guy like PJ Mustafer clogging up the middle so he can get to the quarterback no and get behind the line. No doubt. Yeah, P.J. Mustafer didn't show up on the stat sheet this year the way he would have wanted, the way we would have wanted. But I think he still is a, you know, a draftable, you know, uh, prospect at the next level to to take on those, you know, those those uh, double double teaming blocks um, that, like you said, can free up that next level of of linebackers making plays downfield, um, running downfield, playing on their toes. Um, without P.J. Mustafer, I don't think the defense is the same. Um, you can't really quantify year. what we saw it last year, right? Well, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, and I, I don't know if he was a hundred percent healthy um, this whole season when he and he'd been playing the whole season. Um, but he's fought he's fought pretty hard, and he's been a great ambassador of of the Nittany Lions. And he even was saying after this last f- four game run, he's like he's like I don't think he's like I don't think it, uh, any Penn State team I've been on so far has been playing the way that we are playing in these last four games, um, which is high praise for a guy, like you said, has been around for five seasons. Uh, and, um, you know, he's like, we haven't been blowing teams out like this. And that's a pr- product of the defense doing their jobs as well as the offense scoring points. So he's liking what he's been seeing out of this team for the last four weeks and this season. Two more guys on defense to talk about. Um, Jonathan Sutherland, uh, he's been on the stat sheet for five seasons. Uh, he's been a special teams guy. He wore number zero when they first allowed schools to start putting that on four jerseys. Four-time team captain. Um, as a, uh, yeah, a four-time captain. Um, this year, he switched from the secondary to linebacker um, because that was a, a, a needed position. And has been largely solid all season. Um he finishes with a bunch of tackles and, um, you know, a couple of sacks, a couple of passes defended, a um, couple of forced fumbles and an interception. Um, he's been a guy who's been a team player all the way along. Um, I'm curious what you think um, he's meant to the team and what, what it'll look like now that he's moving on, bro. Um, well, you know, Andy, he's also sort of a polarizing player in some ways. Um one of the more negative ways he was a polarizing player was, you know, that we had that fan write in about his dreadlocks. Oh, right. And Franklin yeah. had to go to bat for him. And he and, and Sutherland handled that with such class. And so did Franklin uh, going to bat for him like that. And I even bought the shirt uh, that said, like, um, what did it say? Like, beards, dreads, and we are, or whatever it did say. They were selling them. And they, we went into that 2019 Iowa game uh, wearing, wearing those those shirts and warm-ups, if you recall. Uh, and that was thanks to the, the Sutherland, um, you know, the way that he was perceived in the way that the team went to bat for their guy. And, you know, Franklin was saying, hey, you know, I, if he, he's the kind of guy that I want my daughter to marry. Um, so obviously the whole coaching staff holds him in high regard. And that's why he was a four time team captain. Um, in the offseason, he made the switch 
from safety to linebacker because we needed a line we needed more linebacker depth and he actually started uh at linebacker and was part of the rotation the entire season um and was probably critical into to keeping um our our linebackers fresh all season was and he made plays dude it wasn't like he was i think he i think he was probably one of the more improved players on defense and it was thanks to that that switch at linebacker because he was a safety that kind of played up along the line more than he was good in coverage so it kind of made sense um but that's the that's the type of player he is whatever the team needed him to do he did making a switch like that in your fifth year senior season you know that's got to be hard to to like rationalize in your brain if you think you're going to make it to the next level and you want to get better at the position you've been playing your whole career then to make a switch to linebacker it actually worked out for him um i, I don't know if he's going to be playing at the next level but in terms of what he's meant to penn state it's no it's 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 quantifiable and and it's uh i think he's played the, the role of captain very well and worn the number 0 uh very well by the way he was our sixth leading tackler on the season uh, he was yeah. within a few tackles of the other uh, starting linebackers, Tyler Elsden and Kobe King. So, you know, mm-hmm. statistically speaking, he was not underperforming at all. He was right on right. par with right. um, with the other starting linebackers. Um, so uh, really, really just excellent play from him. And, yeah, I think his presence on the team has meant a lot, uh, probably more than we'll know just from outside observers. Uh, last guy on the defense to talk about um, – he technically has another year of eligibility left. I don't think he'll be coming back. Um, Joey Porter Jr., he's been on the stat sheet for four seasons. Um, he has been the premier cover corner, um, certainly on Penn State's team, maybe in the Big Ten, maybe even across the country. He's just one of a handful of guys. He's talked about as a first-round draft pick kind of talent. Uh, he has eight passes defended this season, which is double his previous high. So he took his game to the next level this year. It went to the point that you know quarterbacks stopped throwing his direction. And um, so he finishes with a, with a really spectacular career, and um, I do not expect to see him again next year. He's going to be a big loss for us, although it's nice to know that we have Kalen King sitting in the wings. So... Joey Porter Jr., I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but by some um, recruiting um, websites, he was actually a three-star. Wow. <laughs> um, and I, His consensus might have been four-star, but some people had him rated lower as a three-star. Um, of course, his dad was the Steeler great linebacker, Joey Porter Sr., um, and uh, he certainly has made a, a name for himself at a different position, and to climb the ranks of of you know the NFL draft prospects to first round and potentially top fifteen, depending on how things shake out. But the type of player he is, I mean, the dude had appendicitis a couple weeks ago, and he was on the field playing in the to start this game a few snaps. Uh, and a lot of people didn't re- know that or see that, um, but he did, and I, it makes me wonder. Is he the type of guy that will play in a New Year's Six game? Because why else would you play in that Michigan State? I mean, d- did you want to just be on the stat sheet your, your final you know game of your career? Yeah, maybe I don't a know. senior day I, he wants to start. Uh, who knows? I, I don't know. I mean, you'd still get recognized either way, probably. But uh, I actually I don't know if he was recognized as a, as a senior in the game. I'm I'm not entirely sure of that. Uh, being that we weren't at the game, we couldn't see the, the TV doesn't show that stuff. However, anyways, long story short, I just think there's a chance that he's 
lobbying in his own mind for, hey, do I just want to start getting ready for the NFL or do I want to play one last game with my team? Because I bet you I, something tells me P.J. Mustafer is going to play in that game. You know, I, I mean, even with, you know, dating back to the 2017 season, Saquon Barkley did not have to play in the bowl game, and he did. And he was going to be a first-round draft pick, and he played anyways. So we'll see. I, I mean, I, I, I hope it's not all we've seen from Joey Porter Jr. because Franklin's been saying, I expect him back. And he did play a little bit. Maybe he'll play in the bowl game. Who knows? Uh, three more guys to mention as seniors um, uh, who had their sort of swan song uh, send-off. Uh, on Saturday, um, these are special teams guys. Jake Pinnaker, um, he was on the stat sheet for five seasons, bro. Um, and Barney and more uh, for us with one season. Uh, talk a little bit about those guys and what they meant to the program. So Jake Pinnaker unfortunately missed on his two field goal attempts in uh, you know, this past Saturday. Not a great senior um, day they, showing for him. He hit all his extra points, but he missed two field goals. Did they matter? At the time, it seemed they would. In hindsight, they didn't. Um, but, you know, and, and he had, he definitely had a bounce back season this year. He's hitting hitting on some 50-yarders. That's great. Um I don't know if Sanders Sahadak is going to be better or worse. Um, the hope is that he's better. Uh, but, you know, Jake Pinnegar, for great first season, uh, solid, you know, last season. We'll be sad to see him go. I won't be able to say Pinnegar anymore. Um, <laughs> but Barney Amore had a bounce back game. He had a couple games in the last two games where he was, um, I don't know what was going on with him. He, he, he was solid through the first, you know, like, uh, not eight nine games of the season um just he was a weapon for us and putting punts inside the the, te- the 20 and 10 yard line um and I think you you gave us some stats here 50 punts for us averaged almost 44 yards along a 59 20 inside the 20 and but on the day this past weekend uh he averaged 50 yards per punt yeah, on, a little on better, the day. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, and then, you know, a walk-on that was awarded a, a scholarship, Crystal, our, our, our long snapper. I think he actually might be seeing um, a possible future in the NFL because long snappers, they got their own kind of deal going into the NFL. And if I think Crystal is, is one of those guys that's been really solid for us long snapping. I, can you remember a time where he snapped it over a head or uh, anything like that? Can you think of that off the top of your head at all? No, he's been very solid and, um, you right. know, certainly a position you don't want to see making any headlines and <laughs> exactly. he's been solid for us. Uh, yeah. He was a team captain, by the way, bro, as a long snapper. Yeah. 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 That's, that's pretty hilarious that our long snapper has been a team captain all year. And and Franklin even mentioned that a week or two ago about how he's been a captain. He's like, he's like, yeah, we just like, um, having our special teams guy out there, uh, making the calls for what the special teams is going to be doing during kickoffs and stuff like that. And, and, and which way they're, they're kicking field goals and, and all that kind of thing. And this, the snapper plays a role in all that. So, um, there's your senior day, uh, wrap up. Uh, it was a great, uh, day. Um, Again, Penn State getting their 10th win of the season. Um, let's go ahead and um, open up the mailbag because we got a couple of entries here as we think about what is next for Penn State. We're going to hear from you all through the mailbag, opening it up right now. Mailbag time. All right, I've got a, a write-in from uh, this gentleman's <laughs> name is Joe Elbetner, which is is Spanish for the Bettner. 
he's 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 running out of ones. He's running out of them. The season's almost (laughs) over. Um, Mm -hmm. He says this: ten and two, not too shabby. Um, The two losses that we had this season were against two of the best teams in the country. It's still a thorn in my side, however, that we have no wins over ranked teams. So, would you rather? Have the season go just as it did with losses to Michigan and Ohio State and winning all other games or have losses to <laughs> Rutgers and Indiana, but winning all other games, including what I assume would be uh, those top top five teams. Well, I think if you look at the way the committee has been posturing, uh, you know, against us and four other teams. Like, look at LSU. They were a two-loss team. They lost to Florida State. They lost to... I forget who their other... Their second loss was. Beef. They lost to Tennessee. Um, they got blown up by Tennessee, but they also beat Alabama. And they... The, the committee loved that they beat Alabama. They Because it's a high-ranked team. We have no ranked wins, so we have no ability... We have no arguments to be made to be higher-ranked than any other two-loss team. We have no argument. We're just backdooring our way into a top-10 finish. Uh, sadly, but you know, factually speaking, um, I would rather beat Michigan and Ohio State while they're top-5, top-4, top-3 teams than and lose uh, one to Indiana... Uh, you know, an unranked team because then you still can say, oh, hey, well, we slipped up once against, you know, these other teams are slipping up against unranked foes and they're still getting the benefit of the doubt because they end up beating ranked teams. And I, I at this stage, I'd prefer to have the argument. And by the way, if we beat Michigan and Ohio State and we lose and we still play for the Big Ten championship, and even though we have a loss or two to unranked, but you win the Big Ten championship, you're in the new format. You're an automatic berth to the college football playoff. But in the current one, you still got a pretty good argument, right? I uh, yeah. First of all, this is all bunch of baloney because the <laughs> Which CFP. Part? Which part? The, oh, the yeah. committee yeah, is yeah. a bunch of baloney. I, I think it's I think it's so goofy that the way Penn State's been playing. You know, you. It's not just that you lost to top ten teams. You lost to two the number two and number three team in the country going into their final game, you know? So yes, you didn't get a chance to play another ranked team. That's, that's problematic from a scheduling standpoint, but I just, I think it's garbage that, you know, the, the committee makes it up as they go along. Cause by the way, Penn state, Back in 2016, we had a win against a top 10 team, against a top two top team. Top three. Right? They were they, number two were at second. the time. Yeah, that's right. And yet, you yeah. know, th- that wasn't enough for us. You know? You, they still it, put it, Ohio State in like, above us. And yeah. like, oh, it's the eye test. It's how they're playing when you look at them. Well, look at how Penn oh, State's man. been it's playing. It's a moving they're target. Great. You can't, you can't, you, know, you, can't it's, com- it's, you can't appease these guys. You, there's no winning. There's no winning. It's yeah. what I was, we were talking about this the other day. It's confirmation bias. That's all it is. Yeah. They find ways to confirm their opinions, which are already set. They're not looking at what's actually happening on the field. And it's just a bunch of baloney. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. Um, so wait, you didn't pick a would you rather. <laughs> you know, for me, uh, gosh, I don't, to me, losing to Rutgers in Indiana sounds terrible. I can't imagine. <laughs> but if you beat the only two ranked teams on our schedule, uh, I don't at the same time while they're top four teams. I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know. I could probably depends on how we lose those two, and depends on whether. Yeah, let's or not assume we it's still, by one point. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I to me, 
I, this was a good season. This was a good season. I I would have loved to have the last ten minutes of that Ohio State game back. This was a good season. I'm feeling good about the team. I I I just go with the season we had. That's what I would go with. All right. And the committee is garbage. <laughs> they are. All right. Here's, they definitely uh, are. We're not the only ones that think that. By the way. Uh, okay, here's another one. Um, do you remember a couple weeks ago, Shane Dowd wrote in uh, two weeks in a row with some factual information, and he's provided some more factual information that I think should be uh, fodder for a really interesting... It's like, it's, like, it's like, is this the Blue and White Brothers archives personnel at this point? I I, I mean, he, he, might be, <laughs> he might need to be like our statistical research guy. Uh, we can get this guy <laughs> yeah. a position. But um, all right, so here's what, uh, what Shane says. Gents... I do wonder if the Rose Bowl, in an effort to make as much money as possible, punts on Ohio State and takes Penn State. And then he goes on to quote a press release from the Rose Bowl committee. Quote, if the next highest wait, wait, wait. Does it say when does it say when this when this quote came from? Like what was press release? This is from their website. This is from their website about how they make the selections for the Rose Bowl. And this is, he quotes it in his, um, in his email, uh, quote, if the next highest ranked team, uh, this is meaning if, um, the top ranked team goes to the college f- football playoff, if the next highest ranked team is in a cluster of teams, meaning there is another team or teams from the same conference ranked within several spots of each other, the tournament of roses will select the team from that cluster that will result in the best possible matchup for the Rose Bowl game. I like this question already. I don't know if this is a question, but <laughs> so I like it. It goes on to say, <laughs> I wonder if the folks, I wonder if the folks from the Rose Committee will look to avoid a 2021 rematch of Utah and Ohio State and instead pick Penn State for the Rose Bowl. Honestly, he makes a very good point. Doesn't he, though? Um, <laughs> I mean, he, he does. He does. So, and here, let, let's break it down a little bit here, okay? So, as soon as Michigan got done beating the pants off of Ohio State, <laughs> yeah. which is exactly what did happen, you know, here's Ohio State in the shambles of, but first of all, Ohio State could still get in the playoff potentially if. TCU loses if uh, USC loses, um, and then that's how you know uh, you know Ohio State has a path probably still into the playoff. It's not set in yeah, stone. And we right don't now. know where the CFP is going to rank them, but right now the AP has them at number five, right on the outside. Yeah. So let's just ass- right let's on assume the outside. for the sake of this. Let's assume for the sake of this uh, question and answer that they remain at fifth, as the AP suggests. But honestly, who knows? Maybe they'll put them above. Um, Above USC, I doubt it because they would love to have the Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, the, the best, you know, probable, uh, you know, candidate at this point is Caleb Williams, by the way, a sophomore at USC. Um, so here, okay. USC, if they get in, TCU, if they get in, there's Ohio State at fifth. And the, the Rose Bowl is theirs for the taking. If the Rose Bowl says, hey, we'd like you Ohio State. But here's the thing. That's not what... <laughs> not what Ohio State wants. They, they asked uh, C.J. Stroud after the game, they were like, hey, if you guys go to the Rose Bowl, are you going to be playing? And C.J. Stroud was non-committal. He definitely sounded like, I'm off to the NFL. I'm not playing in anything outside of... Yeah, um, I mean, you, you know, got to imagine the Rose Bowl committee is 
thinking about that and saying, hey, their Absolutely. Heisman contender Absolutely. quarterback is uh, opting out of this one. And think about how many other players on Ohio State are like, it's over. Been it's done. done that. Like I'm going to the NFL. You know, they, they we never we, we didn't beat Michigan the last two years. We didn't get in the college football playoff the last two years. Um, it's it, what what C.J. Stroud is saying and the way he's speaking about you know how he he personally never beat Ohio State and or excuse me he personally never beat Michigan. He personally never got his team to the college football playoff. It sounds like. He's off to the NFL. That's the way his wording of his these these questions and answers have are coming out. And does that is that what the Rose Bowl wants? Do they want a team who's already looking to the NFL, whose backups are going to be coming in? And it's not to say that Ohio State doesn't have good players in these backup positions, but will Ohio State fans be coming out to the to Pasadena? It's like for for. There's no enthusiasm for Ohio State making the Rose Bowl. Guess who would have enthusiasm for making oh, the yeah. Rose Bowl? The entire Penn State fan base and team. 100%. And you might have less opt-outs for Penn State if we're going, let's put no. I'll, I'll put I'll make the claim right now with, without any grounds and substantiation. Penn State will have less opt-outs for the Rose Bowl Absolutely than they will true. for the co- for the Cotton Bowl. I mean, guaranteed. It, it, not only that, Penn State will have less opt-outs for the Rose Bowl than Ohio State would have Absolutely. for the Rose Bowl. I I put money on it. So you're going to get a much more complete team coming to the Rose Bowl if Penn State comes to the Rose Bowl. You know, and they'll think back to that 2016 Rose Bowl, one of the greatest Rose Bowl games of all time that wasn't Absolutely. a national championship Absolutely. game. Absolutely. You know, so uh, you know, to me, and obviously last year that that Ohio State game versus Utah. That was also was a great game. But it was a great game. But it was a totally different kind of character for the season for Ohio State. Yes, correct. You know, I I just and I don't I mean, I don't know that Ohio State is going to be a desirable team for the Rose Bowl two years in a row. I I was reminding you earlier. Well, it's particularly with Utah being the 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 matchup um if 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 USC doesn't go to the CFP, it would be Utah it, but if USC does win and go on, it actually might be Washington, by the way. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who ends up being the next highest ranked team. It, might, it might be Washington. Washington, it might Oregon, be. If, if you, Utah. All three of those teams would make for an interesting matchup with Penn State. Less so with Ohio State, I think. And um, I, I just would really, I, I don't know. I'm hoping for it. I'm hoping for it. It would be great. Andy, another thing that, that to the point of this question... Um, I think Franklin came out and said that uh, our athletic director, Pat Kraft, new athletic director, Pat Kraft, by the way, fiery athletic director, Pat Kraft, uh, he, Franklin said that Pat would be going to bat. He's going to be working the, the phones. Nittany Lions. He'd be, he'd be lobbying <laughs> for this. I think it's specifically lobbying for the Rose Bowl um, is my assumption. Uh, I mean, anything but the Cotton Bowl at this point, because right now the Cotton Bowl is set to be like a Tulane or UCF. And that's just not. That's just not what Penn State fans want. That's not good for for you know college football, in my opinion. The Cotton Bowl is just this like I know you're throwing Get the a bone Cotton Bowl to, the group. to Clemson for crying out loud. Yeah, like we're on a four game <laughs> win streak, and Clemson's on like a what? They, do they they've lost? Is it two in a row now? Or, two out of the or last they, four? They've, they've I lost, think maybe. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and DJ Uyungle, no offense to him, but he completed eight passes against South Carolina on the day. So that's not exactly an offense that's lighting it up. We are uh, averaging close to 40 points. I think it's like 36 points a game we're averaging. Um, and our defense is up there, you know, highly, highly ranked. Um and yeah, I just think there's more juice going on with our team than 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 what Ohio State's is like a a cratering team as far as the the the, the national narrative. And Penn State could bring a lot more enthusiasm. And I think he, Shane's correct, more dollars ultimately. Well, um, that'll do it for mailbag. Um, and we're nearly at the end of our episode. I wanted to cap off, bro, by just doing a little bit of a sneak peek. Uh, with Championship Week, which is coming up uh, this Friday and Saturday. So I'm going to give you the matchups, and I'd love to hear, um, A, what do you want to see out of that game in terms of you know wins and losses, uh, you know who you want to win and who you want to lose, and just any yeah, other tip sure. that you have, all right? So um, cool. Friday night, um, December 2nd, uh, we've got number 14, Utah, um, 9 and 3 on the season versus number what they will be I'm guessing 4 Five. um USC uh yeah, at 11 four, and right, 1 sorry. at 8 p.m. on Fox. Well, if we want to if we want to secure the best opportunity uh or best options for Penn State to reach a non-Cotton Bowl game, um we want to see USC lose this go game Utah. and <laughs> uh, yeah, go so go go Utes. Yeah, let's just This keep is a it rematch game by the way. The only team yep. that USC lost to USC. Yeah. Is Utah. It'll be cool. It'll be a great game. And by the way, again, it's a, it's a Friday game. So you can watch this on Friday before the rest of the, all these other conference championship games. All right. Yeah. And uh, it could be an opportunity for Caleb Williams to secure his Heisman trophy bid. Very good point. Uh, or lose it. Right. For exactly. That um, all right. On Saturday, a uh, bunch of, uh, a bunch of games uh, starting off at noon on ABC. We've got uh, Kansas state uh, versus the undefeated horned frogs of Texas Christian. Uh, what do you think we'll see on that game, man? Well, you know, it's interesting. Like, of course, I want to see Kansas State win. You, uh, you know, that's that's cool. Upset that's a, just city. A, somebody somebody else winning the big the Big Twelve. Uh, that's not. And and obviously TCU is not a team that's been you know perennially beating the winning the Big Twelve. But I'd love to see an upset there. Um, however, I don't know for certain if uh, TCU loses if they're out. You know, they're undefeated, right? They're undefeated. I guess it, it, it might matter to them the manner in which they are defeated. Um, so it's not a given that if TCU loses, they're out of the college football playoff. However, the committee probably yeah, you take a, would love to... Excuse me. Do you take an 11-1 Ohio State or a 12-1 TCU? <laughs> or a or USC or whatever you know right. like th- those are the three teams vying for those those two spots in my opinion um you know I, I get who's who's sixth right now is it Alabama yeah I think so and by the way by the way two if loss, TCU Alabama. loses if USC loses if it, it does Alabama as a two loss because Saban's already lobbying I'll sacrifice two- any Penn State outcome to keep Alabama out <laughs> you know, I just don't see that Alabama making their way in, so I don't think it matters what what happens. A two loss non conference, even championship playing, they're not even playing. Yeah, in it. I, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, because uh, you got to be a one loss team, team that's even made it into the playoff. Right. If anyone was going to do it, it was possibly LSU, who would have had a crack at number one Georgia. Anyways, moving yeah, on. Yeah. Also at noon on ESPN, I won't be watching this game, but just take note. 
the Ohio Bobcats at nine and three on the season are playing in the MAC championship against seven and five Toledo. That's a former Penn State opponent who, you know, turns out maybe going on to uh, win the MAC. Yeah, I mean, you, you just always want your um, your opponents that you played uh, just to continue on winning. You uh, that just helps Penn State. Penn State can have that on their resume. Cool. Does Does Ohio get ranked at the end of the season somehow by being ten and three? Uh, would that be our lone ranked win? Wow, that'd be hilarious. <laughs> uh, or if per, you know, the, the the there's another game on in the evening. I'm gonna skip over your Tulane game real quick. If Purdue beats Michigan, Purdue would probably end up being ranked as a 9-4 and four team if you beat the number two team in the country. That could also end up <laughs> being the final a ranked CFP win. <laughs> rankings could end up being a ranked, it could be, yeah. just saying there's a possibility for that. And Purdue received um, votes but, in the last AP poll for what it's worth. Exactly. So anyways, um, um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on the Michigan-Purdue yeah, game, Andy? I, I mean, number one, I don't see Michigan losing this game. I mean, it would be a it would be an incredible upset, and you know Jeff Brom would go down in some sort of like incredible lore if he could get Purdue up for this game. I just Purdue is just way way overmatched, um, you know, and Michigan has not <laughs> been susceptible to passing attacks. Their their front seven has been, uh, you know, way. Uh, way too dominant for that. And I, I just, I think in terms of Michigan's passing attack, excuse me, their rushing attack on offense, I don't see Purdue has the, has the opportunity to slow them down. I, I just, I don't see that this is really got much of a shot, you know, credit Jeff Brom, mm-hmm. if they somehow pull a rabbit out of the hat and make it, make it happen. The only, the only shot I give Purdue is if Michigan road comes in riding the emotional fallout from riding high against Ohio state. Yeah, that's yeah. the only that's, there you that's go. the only way I give. Be a letdown. And by the way, mind you, and by and mind you that Purdue's passing attack will be playing in a dome, so like it'll be a fast track. Um, so it's not like the the elements will be slowing down that that offense at all. Uh, it'll be Michigan, if anything. By the way, you you had skipped ahead. Um, that um yep, Big Ten championship game is at eight p.m. on Fox. Um on Saturday. So, uh, you know, mark your calendars should be a, should be an interesting game for the first, you know, 10 minutes or so. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I also skipped over. An, I skipped over two you games. Skipped Sorry over about a bunch that. of things. Um, back to the afternoon <laughs> slot. Um, uh, we got the, uh, sec championship game on CBS. Um, number five, well, formerly number five LSU. Um, they're now nine and three. You've got a nine and three team, you know, going against undefeated Georgia in the SEC championship game. Can you imagine? We were just talking about the upset against Michigan. Can you imagine if Georgia somehow drops that game to a nine and three LSU? And LSU has shown themselves to be a little bit dangerous. Um, you know, just a kind of a funky way to to watch the SEC uh, wrap up their season. But um, Georgia's looking to to you know demonstrate their their new status as the lead dogs in the sec and uh, potentially in the college football world i don't give it um a large chance of happening the upset but it's not impossible that lsu can spoil at least an undefeated season it's not going to knock georgia out of the ranks of the top four um in any way I don't think there's – even if they get blown out 72 to nothing, I don't see um, – well, maybe 72 to nothing, but <laughs> but I just don't see Georgia 
win or lose. But that kind of begs the question for Georgia is like, are you going to rest your starters? <laughs> well, no. Are you capable of motivating your team to win the game um, if you're already in? Yeah, well, already I don't think that every top four team is, is is locked in to the to the CFP right now. Uh, I mean, sorry, the the AP top four, they're they're locked in, um, you know, to go into the playoffs. So, well, I, I think Georgia is different. Case, can I you think Georgia is different because they're the one team I think who can afford to lose and still be assured of getting in. I don't know if TCU can actually afford to lose. Um, USC certainly cannot afford to lose. Michigan flip a coin. I don't know. Um, I'll be interested. By the way, I. I kind of feel like Michigan has an argument for being the number one team in the country. I don't disagree. Uh, but anyway, I don't disagree um, at all. That's a four four o'clock game. Um, the uh, other four o'clock game is the American Athletic Conference. Um, we were um, talking about Tulane earlier. They play Central Florida. Um, the winner of that game will go to the Cotton Bowl and be ranked probably sometime, somewhere around 15 by the end of the day. Um uh, last game to talk about is the ACC, which because both Clemson and North Carolina have been losing games at an alarming clip here at the end of the season, is a really kind of inconsequential game from the national perspective. Clemson with two losses, North Carolina with three, but they play um, on ABC at 8 p.m. on Saturday night. Um, it's crazy. It's crazy to think about a 10 and two Clemson, even in general, just like oh, a 10 and two Clemson before the conference championship game, but they could go on to, to be a 11 and two. And if we're le- like 11 and two for Penn State is like a darn good season. But for Clemson, it's like, <sighs> well, also they play in the ACC. True. Very true. Very true. They just haven't had good quarterback play at all. That's really, and the they, their loss was to an unranked South Carolina team and an in state <sighs> was rivalry. the other loss to, you know, uh, I'm losing. Shoot. I'm losing it in my brain. Where? Oh, to Notre Dame. Ah, thank you. Yeah, they got blown, blown their doors blown off. Yeah. Um, and speaking of Notre Dame, and we'll move on from the Clemson, North Carolina, and inconsequential ACC. Speaking of Notre Dame, what are they? They 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 they, they uh, what what they do in their final game against USC? They they lost to USC. They, oh yeah, they they got they got murdered basically. So they end up with you know it was it. It was not as bad on the on the score. They, I think it was a two touchdown loss, but um, they really just couldn't stop USC's offense. They they just had a had a terrible time trying to stop them. And and when they when the game wasn't reached, they they didn't have a and that hurts an Clemson answer. and that hurts Ohio State with with you know Notre yes. Dame dropping a fourth game. Uh, and of course, by the way, losing to Marshall. Um, you know, somehow, yeah. somehow, and to Stanford, who you know, David Shaw walked away from that. It's team, mind blowing to me that that Notre Dame got propped up to number fifteen in the CFP rankings with those horror. Like Penn State loses two games to the top, um, you know, two, two, two and three teams, and 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 we're just like, you know, we we dropped pretty darn far, uh, and we've had to claw our way back. But Notre Dame has losses to unranked teams, and then they go and beat Clemson, and they're like, oh, we're gonna put you up at you know fifteenth ranked, and and they're gonna get, we're gonna give you a Again, shot at the top just, ten. It's just baloney. All of their rankings are are utterly, you know, useless. 
And, it's brands. Um, they love brands. I, I, they love brands more than anything. They really yeah, do. Yeah, it's all it's all preconceived notions and confirmation because bias. you know putting propping um, Notre Dame up was going to give Ohio State the the uh, you know if Notre Dame beats USC, it's given oh the ranked ra- win. Ra- it's That's just, why they. It's just it, it grinds my gears. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, there's some still some interesting things to happen this uh, coming week um, with these championship games. Uh, after the championship games are done um, that Sunday, we're going to get the final rankings and all the map matchups. So, um, uh, ho- you know, hold on to your whatever you need to hold on to as, as <laughs> hold on to your seats, as, hold on to your hats, as uh, Samuel L. Jackson famously said in Jurassic Park, hold on to your butts. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's what you should hold yeah. should hold on yep. to. Um, so we're going to wrap this thing up. Um, Want to let you all know. Uh, first of all, really appreciate you sticking with us this season. We've had a lot of fun. It's been a it's been a fun season to um, to be part of. Um, we have a couple episodes left. I want to just let you know what's coming up. A week from today, um, Tom and I will record um, next Monday, and we're going to go over the championship week game results. Um, we're going to talk about the final um, college football playoff seating and the rest of the rankings. Bowl. And that will include, I think, I'm pretty sure by the time we record a week Selection from today, we'll know Sunday. where Penn State is going. Yeah. And so we'll get a chance to talk about that result yep. and also a little mini preview of our opponent. Tom and I are also thinking we're going to do a little bit of a season rewind where we'll just look back over the season and talk about some of those key games, notable performances, key themes, season statistics. So we're going to look at that, I think, next week as well. I think well. there's a chance that we'll also get some um, information on like guys that are going to be opting out of the bowl. Um you know, so we'll have an opportunity to update you on that, as well as National Signing Day, National Letter of Intent, or you know, whatever it's called, <laughs> um, is December twenty first, and I think we'll have a firmer picture of what our recruiting class will be looking like uh, coming into you know the twenty twenty three year. Yeah. So um, after next week, um, we're going to have two more episodes for you. One of them will be later in December, in advance of our bowl game. Don't know when that's going to be. It depends a little bit about when our bowl game actually will be. And That'll be a chance to preview um, our bowl opponent and do a full breakdown on them, as well as Tom was just saying, um, any signing day information, let you know about you know what our incoming class looks like. And then in early January, um, assuming we have a, a game around the New Year's, we'll do our final episode of the season where we talk about um, our bowl game results, do a final season wrap up and uh, look ahead to the 2023 season. Goodness gracious, bro. I can't believe we're already talking about 2023, but uh, we've got a couple more episodes before that. You know what? I hope we're not updating um, by, by next week. I hope we're not updating. I hope we're not updating that Manny Diaz is getting hired by anybody um, away from Penn oh, State. Oh man. Cause this is the week that that kind of stuff starts happening. Um, yeah, so he's been such a great addition to the coaching staff. I hope he sticks around for sure. But you know, we'll keep you up to date on all the news and notes uh, through the end of our recording season. Um, we'll be back with you next week to talk about what that bowl season looks like, um, bro. Until then, it always starts with "I love you" and it ends with "I love you." All right, bro. Love you. Till then, we are Penn State. 
Thanks for listening to the Blue and White Brothers. Join us next time for another great episode about Penn State football. Want to make sure you don't miss an episode? Be sure to hit subscribe before you go. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to give us a five-star review with overwhelming words of adulation and praise. 